Hi, it's Beth and welcome to another edition of the Journey to a Dream podcast where we talk to motorcycle racers about how they made their dream come true. And interestingly, this is somebody who now helps make other people's dreams come true. Have a listen to this. I'm Neil Champion. I'm a former TT and Max Grand Prix racer. I still race a little bit on a lower level now. And I'm also the chairman of Andrews Racers Association on the Isle of Man. I have to say, first of all, Neil, though, what a great name for somebody who does motorcycle racing. But you've never heard that before, have I you? I have heard it before. <laughs> and it can be, as you might imagine, a bit of a double-edged sword. Take us back then. When did an interest in all things motorcycle-related start for you? Oh, right. So I'm an old chap now. I grew up in the 70s, got my first motorbike when I was 16 and I think that was oh, quite in 1979 so and that was the thing then and I had loads of mates all at teenagers that's, that's what you did you, you got into bikes then and quite quickly it was all encompassing and I first came to the TT in 1984 and was absolutely blown away I was like 21 22 years old and you know I thought it was amazing and then I came every year for about 10 years we used to rent a cottage up in Sandygate and uh, and all we did was watch the racing and ride our bikes that was that was the TT for us and we went round and round and round and just did oh I'm just going for another lap that was what we did in those days and stayed interested in the TT uh, real life changed so I missed a few of them in the 90s and then I dabbled in club racing a little bit uh, through the 80s and then it did a bit more late 90s early 2000 uh, actually did some endurance racing just in the UK not international and then uh, came across I bought a big gang of people I mean like I organised Lord knows how, how and why I did it a group of 30 of us to come to the TT I, I knew all these kind of second generation or third generation of people they were into bikes and I was chatting to them and they said what you've never been to the TT you've never been to the TT we need to go to the TT and then I ended up organising it all and we booked a hotel down in Port Erin and we came across the year after Foot and Mouth and at that point and I must give him mention I met a fella called Keith Mackay who is also a come over but he'd, he'd been living in the island for a couple of years at that point he's still here and he was obsessive about road racing as, as I was becoming and he said right yeah he said uh, this is what you need to do to ride in the Manx Grand Prix and he said you need to get your national licence you need to do this you need to do that uh, and so that was what I worked towards and did I was a newcomer at the Manx Grand Prix in 2004 and that was kind of in some senses it was almost a tick in the box it, it wasn't a bucket list but I was still relatively old then I was over 40 that's not old at all Neil well but you know there's yeah. I, I actually I never heard the definitive statement about what the restriction is on how old newcomers can be now but there's lots of talk of oh no you can't do it if you're 40 or 45 or something um, and I didn't actually come back in 2005, but I came back in 2006 with a better bike and went a fair bit faster, almost scraped the top 20. And then I thought, right, I'm going to give it a real good go in 2007, got a really good bike with some good support and cracked the top 10 at the Manx. And I thought, oh, right, that's it. This is this is it. This is what I do. So I got an uh, entry for the TT, had uh, the bikes lined up. I was in almost in every class, I had a, a big bike and a 600 and, and so on. And also at that time, I'm not sure how many of the people listening to this will remember this, but there used to be an yet another road race on the Isle of Man called Jerby South. Uh, that stopped in 2010. But I'd done that a couple of times. And there was a meeting in early May for that, which was a good for prep for the TT. So I thought, right, yeah, I'll go take my bikes there, give them a run out on the roads, get them working over the bumps. 
Um, but unfortunately, I ended up in Nobles with two broken legs and various other broken bones and stuff. So if you find the um, 2008 TT race guide, my name is in it. But I was flat on my back in hospital when the TT was running that year. Were you listening to it? Could you bear to do that? Uh, yeah, I did. I did, actually, uh, because I was out of hospital by the time... Uh, it's all a bit hazy, as you might understand. Um, yeah, I definitely caught some of it on the radio. But you know what? It was a proper serious one, you know? And actually, I was just glad to still be here. So it wasn't about, oh, if only. It was like, hey, I'm still here. So so that it was all right, really. I mean, I was in a wheelchair for a couple of months, and then I was on crutches for six months after that. So that was me done with racing then in 2008, because I think I, I did it once. I think I had seven operations in 18 months or something. Most of them were relatively small because I broke some bones in my hand and they took a bit of fixing and things like that. But then I, I got back to fitness. I was I was fine and I I got back on a motorbike. I still had road bikes and I, I was I remember December that year when I was signed off on the crutches. Right, you don't need to use crutches anymore. I thought, right, well, I can get on a motorbike and I actually rode a bike <laughs> to prove I could still do it. And I thought, okay, that's fine. Racing, I've I've, I've been there. I've, I've tried my best and uh, and I nearly killed myself. And then the years ticked by a little bit, you know, and I was active and I was doing all the things I used to do and I was still riding bikes on the road and it kind of started to just gnaw at me a bit that I almost rode in the TT but didn't quite. And my connections with the riding racing community on the island extended a bit. I said I had met my friend Keith and I met a few other people and I also met a fella called Dave Clark who I know really well now. And he is a chief sector marshal at the TT, but also st- he still rides a bit and was racing in those days. And he put together, he built a really good super twin. And I got chatting to him and said, uh, you got anyone to ride that day for the TT? <laughs> so, yeah, I rode in the Southern 100, I think in 2012, and thought, yeah, I can still do this. Did a few meetings at Derby, in fact, and a few other places, and then did the Southern 100. Didn't set the place on fire, but I was capable and so I got my start in the 2013 TT and a little claim to fame there's a few people who've done this you know Michael Russell everyone calls him Jack Russell he's famous for starting every TT including the sidecar ones right well I can't compete with that because I've never done the sidecars but in 2013 I started every single solo TT including the TT Zero for electric bikes. <laughs> and was that an aim? Was that something that no, you had? No, it was just accidental. Just, because, whoops, I'm in every race. Well, yeah, because <laughs> I'd, I'd arranged, I had a, I had a 1,000, a 600 and a, and a twin. So I was basically in all those races. And there was, going back then, this was 10 years ago now, the TT Zero, there was a Manx team, okay? The bike was built locally and I knew the fellas involved in that quite quite well. And in fact, I'd, I'd actually helped them, you know, put, pick some spanners up and just give them a bit of a hand with it. And... And my good friend Dave Moffat was due to ride it, who's a local rider. And so I was in the paddock, uh, signed up for my events and everything. And then I heard that Moffy had put himself in hospital. And so I phoned up uh, uh, another really good friend of mine, Andy Cowie, who was kind of organising that team. I said, uh, do you need a rider, Andy? Uh, I said, I'm sure there's better people than me, but, um, you know, the practice week had started, so, you know, you couldn't ship anyone in. It had to be someone who was in the paddock. I said, but I, if you need someone, I'm available. And uh, so I got a lap of practice on it, and they said, yeah, off you go, fella. So, uh, unfortunately, the, the bike did stop halfway round in the race, so I didn't get a finish on it that time. So there we go. Ultimately, then, that dream was realised. You got to do your TT starts, all of them. Yeah. How did it live up to the expectation? 
Yeah, it's really difficult to describe. And, and actually, when riders get talking, one of the things we, we know that we, we... I've heard lots of us say this to each other. When you're talking about the TT, and it's the same with the Manx Grand Prix, really, you know, that circuit, the, the TT mountain course on a bike. If you talk to someone who's never done it, you cannot really put it into words. You can write a thousand, a million words about it, but it's not really a rational thing. It's just so deep and powerful and emotional. Heading off down Bray Hill... That tap on the shoulder and off your head is just something that literally can't be really described. I mean, you can describe it, but you can't carry across the the way it makes you feel and everything. And of course, at the time, it's not that your heart's in your mouth, but you mentally are in such a place that, you know, you're just completely focused. I mean, I'm, as hopefully it's coming across here, I'm quite a chatty, gregarious sort of fella. But on race days, or even actually in practice week, you know, when we're, we're working towards practice, I just get quieter and quieter and quieter and withdraw a little little bit and I don't become you know nasty and horrible I don't shout at people but it's actually quite difficult to get me to engage because I'm just going into some other place and and everyone's like that in their own that everyone has their own mental way of dealing with it and then you get you on the bike and you're, you're paddling forward to start to say it say it's in practice week which is not so intense but still you always know especially at the TT you know every single time you go out you've got to give of your best because in those days there were more entries accepted than could start the race so you you genuinely were qualifying and if you were in the bottom sort of 10 or so people you likely might not get a start so you still had to make sure you were giving of your best at every time you know so your brain's in this weird different place you know and you're kind of quite uptight really really focused and actually you know nervous isn't really the, the right word you're apprehensive or whatever and you're on the bike and then the tap on the shoulder and off you go and all of a sudden I, I kind of describe it as like putting your brain through the washing machine because it, it just rinses out all the day-to-day nonsense that you tend to deal with and the stuff you even the stuff you've been worrying about it's like oh did we change the tires or did we do this or did the guys do this thing you know it's too late you can't think about that anymore and you're just completely focused on next apex next breaking point you're just looking for that hedge there and then turn in and that sort of thing and i've had a couple of other experiences in life like this i'm I'm a musician as well and, and when i'm when i'm playing again you're so focused on what you're doing that it's really mentally, it just flushes everything else out. And because you've got no space for this other stuff, actually, there is a little bit of your brain that is thinking there's these bizarre thoughts. So, you know, I can remember coming along Solby Strait and the spectators on the bank and, and you know, they're, they're watching me. And I'm thinking, wow, wow, those guys are actually watching me race a bike here. And then I'm thinking, well, there were people stood on that bank watching Agostini 40 years ago or whenever it was, you know. And those little thoughts pop into your head. You're still looking for your braking marker, but uh, it's absolutely an incredible experience. I mean, I do have a genuine actual TT replica, which is in the fair... I don't have a huge number of trophies, but I've got a handful. And that's, you know, obviously right at the top, front and centre. Definitely the achievement I'm proudest of but there is a flip side to this in I came back in 2014 and crashed in practice on a big bike so the, the thing I, I had a, a big thousand was 193 horsepower uh, a super stocker and I always used to come in with I used to describe it as my eyeballs are slightly enlarged and I did realize that the bike was too fast for my brain my brain was a, a tenth of a second behind the bike whereas you need to be a few tenths ahead of the bike really uh, so I crashed at Greba Castle and survived it and I thought now this you're going to kill yourself like this fella time to stop uh, and I was already planning to build a classic bike for what was then called the classic TT the Manx Grand Prix thought like that's what you're going to do just step it down a level something a bit slower and so from 2015 to 2018 I rode in the, the classic TT the Manx Grand Prix
I remember in the, 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 one of the TTs, I did uh, I did two laps on the thousand, and I said came back with my eyes wide open, and then got onto the 650 twin, which uh, was still do 150 miles an hour, but it had 100 less horsepower. And I remember pulling off down uh, along the Glen Cutry Road and just going, oh, oh, that's a bit better. Yeah, there's a corner up there, but it's not coming at me too fast, you know, and that was what I can ride at. So I built myself uh, a, a 750 for the classic superbike class. Uh, and rode that, uh, and also when um, they changed the regs, a little bit of an aside really, but for the uh, proper Grand Prix 250s, so from 2016, uh, you could ride a TZ250, all that sort of thing. So I got myself one of those as well, which I'd never owned before. I'd never owned a pure thoroughbred two-stroke racing bike. So that was a hell of a steep learning curve. But it stopped in 2016. It actually seized. 2017, it went from the sublime to the ridiculous. Just the linkage on the gear lever just came loose. And I was going all right then. And in 2018, I got a finish on it. But I'd already decided 2018, I just realised that it was going to be my ninth event around the mountain course and I thought well okay you've done what you wanted to achieve you are definitely not getting any faster my personal life had changed a little bit and I had you know the stakes I was playing with were a bit higher as, as shall we say and I just thought no it's, it's time to time to stop when you decide to stop really so I, I'd already decided that 2018 was going to be my last outing. And you're still sure about that? Yeah yeah even when I'm watching because I'm very involved in marshalling now since I've lived here I'm watching the bikes go through and sometimes you think, I can do better than that fella, but I know exactly how much commitment it takes, not in terms of actually being on the bike at the time, it's the preparation. You almost have to dedicate your life towards it. And I thought, no, I don't need to be doing that. And there's definitely places around the TT course where living here and I'm riding my road bike. I'm thinking, I'm really glad I'm not trying to go flat out through here anymore. <laughs> you know, there's places I love. There's places that absolutely, you know, Quarry Bends is just awesome, you know. But I'm really glad I don't have to go through Balagheri flat out anymore. <laughs> You have mentioned about living over here. Mm. How did that all come about? Yeah, that was kind of interesting. So I mentioned changes in my personal life. So relatively late in life, in my 50s, I got a new partner and she, similar age to me, so we, we'd lived a life. We'd both been married previously. It was like, okay, you know, we were another 10 years before we retired, maybe what are we going to do with our lives? And we were, we threw it all up in the air. We were going to sell up, travel the world or go and run a B&B in Cornwall or all sorts of things. And she didn't really know much about racing, but she came with me to the pre-TT Classic in 2018, I think. Or maybe it was 17, I don't recall. It was a beautiful May, spring May day on the island and the island is so beautiful when the sun's out and we were walking from the paddock into Castletown and she just looked around and she said, well, I suppose we could move here. And I looked at her sideways, I said... Don't joke about that, I said. <laughs> I'll take you seriously, but, you know, let's think about it. She said, well, OK, right. So we, we actually had a proper serious conversation about it. Tell me you brought her back in November just to see what it was like. Actually, her first visit to the island was before that because we came to stay with my friends in Ramsey uh, for New Year. So she had seen it in winter. And so I said, OK, well, let's see if I can find a job here. It was 2018. I was in the... Manx Grand Prix paddock up behind the grandstand and I put my CV in to a few agencies on the island and I got a phone call from one of them saying can you go to an interview I said well yeah I said I've only got jeans with me I said that's fine it's not a problem so I actually got a job while I was in the paddock at the Manx Grand Prix. Do you think your 16-year-old self would have thought anything about moving to what was, I suppose, and yeah. still is to lots of people, the spiritual home of motor racing? Yeah. I don't think my perspective on this is that different from people, but when I look back on my younger self, it seems like a different person. It doesn't feel like me anymore. 
decades later, the, the experiences that make you into who you are. So he was a different guy, that that young guy, and and I don't know what he would have thought. So here you are then, mm-hmm. uh, living in the Isle of Man and still motor racing, still not very far from your thoughts. No, and I, and I do still ride, and people say to me, "I thought you'd retired." No, I still do the pre TT Classic, which is a lovely event, uh, and it's so well organised. The Southern One Hundred Club are amazing. I know they call it the friendly races, but it is such a great paddock and it's a brilliant atmosphere. And I remember after the break for COVID, so it didn't happen in what, 2020 and 21. So I put my entry in in 22 and I was really thinking to myself, okay, right, you know, this is three years now since you've done this. Do you still want to be, you know, riding between the hedges and the walls and everything? I thought, well, okay, look, the entry's in, we'll prep, we'll go there, we'll go out in first practice and just, uh, I'm talking about we, it's like racers do, isn't it? I will see how I feel. So that was in my head and I went out in the first practice and like half a lap round, I was just grinning and just going yeah this is amazing and it was just I was completely back on it and I loved it and I'm also very involved in Andreas Racing Association when I moved back to the island I thought right because I'd raced with the club quite a lot as a visitor and I thought right okay now I live here I was trying to contribute to it the club wasn't really in a very great place at that time and at the end of 2019 say the club was was not doing very well and I actually stood up and said right okay guys to the membership I said if you want to put your faith in me I'll see what I can do and I got voted in as chairman so then I had to put uh, my money where my mouth had been and we got some new people in on the committee and and a, f- a few people who've been there before so like Dave Moffat is a is a, a thread right through this he's been involved with the club for 20 plus years Can you just tell us a little bit about what the the club's aim is I suppose how it all Right so so Andrews Racing Association is just a grassroots motor racing club there's there's various ones across in the UK some of them are really quite historical so things like Bemsey and stuff like that and then you got quite a, quite small clubs uh, Auto 66 Emra the who are the East Midlands Racing Association they only race at Mallory and ARA is a bit like that we only race at Jerby because it's the only track on the Isle of Man and we're absolute grassroots level we have uh, six or seven meetings a year from spring till autumn and we support local racers and really starting out so when I started racing to get your racing license from the ACU all you had to do was get an eyesight test fill a form in and send a check if anyone listening to this can still remember checks that was it it was purely bureaucratic nowadays the world has moved on and you have to do a classroom session and then do what we tend to refer to as race school but it's not really basically you do some laps uh, on the circuit with a coach behind you just checking that you really you're not a danger to yourself and other people so you have to go through that now the the race school are on the island which is run by um, a group of fellows uh, I can name Chapman, Gary Radcliffe and Dave Bosendorfer and uh, Joy Higginbottom now they've all raced the Manx Grand Prix and I think Johnny's won a Manx Grand Prix you know so these guys have got history more than 20 people get their new licenses through those coaches and through the club at Jerpy each year so we've got this feeder of new novice riders coming on and one of our most popular classes at Jerby is uh, what we call a novice and clubman event so basically you can ride whatever bike you've got the restriction is you can't be a national license holder because the way the ACU licenses go you start off 
as a novice, then you can upgrade once you've done so many finishes. I think you need to get 10 finishes, 10 separate meetings. Please don't quote me on this because I'm not reading the regs right now. <laughs> but uh, then you upgrade to a clubman, which means you don't need your orange bib anymore. And then to upgrade to the next one, you need to be within a certain percentage of the winner's time. So you need to demonstrate that you've actually got some pace and then you can upgrade to a national. Our novice and clubman class is really well subscribed. We typically have getting on for 30 starters on that. In fact, not this year just gone, but the year before, we had too many people in the class in that the, the track is only licensed to have 32 starter race and we had something like 35 or 36. So we had to run an A and a B heat to even get everybody on the grid. It's fantastic. But even this year, it's a bit under the 32, but we're getting 28, 30 people on uh, on their bikes. So it's a full on grid. And these are guys who are all learning their craft, you know, get getting the, the laps under their belt, learning how, how to race uh, and how to go fast. And that leads on to the next thing is from that, we've got such a great pipeline of riders coming through to compete at uh, the Manx Grand Prix and the TT. So this year, Joe Yearsley and Marcus Simpson, both former clubman champions at ARA, you know, really set the Manx Grand Prix on fire as well. But it would be unfair to just mention those guys. There was at one point, I think it was in the Senior Grand Prix race, which Joe won and Marcus was second in. There was one point, the guy in third, which I think was Jamie, Jamie Williams. Uh, so we had actually, we had uh, during the race, top three people in the race were ARA former uh, alumni. And those guys sometimes still ride with us, you know. The, the Manx Grand Prix this year, there was Jamie and Marcus, there was Dave Rigby, there's Mark Colvin as well. He had some top 10 finishes. Darren Creer, Dan Sale was out on a solo as well, as well as being a sidecar passenger at the TT. Paul Cassidy was out there. Chris Moffat is one of our youngsters. And also at the other end of the scale, there's a fellow called Dave Madsen Migdal, who has got the record for, I'm sure, the most TT starts and I think the most TT finishes as well. And he still rides at Derby and he's even older than I am, you know, so, you know, he still pulls his leathers on and gets out there and there's nothing about road racing that Dave doesn't know as well. I am genuinely really, really proud of the way the riders who've come through the club uh, are going on and that's just the Manx Grand Prix as well and then a lot of them are going on to the TT as well. There must be something, I mean, you say you're involved in marshalling, I don't know if you were out around the course uh, during this MGP, but seeing those riders that you've had such a part in, I suppose, yeah. go past must be quite a feeling. I don't want to claim too much. I mean, I just feel like an enabler and it's like because I've been involved in making sure the club is healthy and running and the meetings are there, there's a real sense of pride. I mean, I'm uh, nowadays I'm uh, what's called a deputy sector marshal and I'm actually this year I've stepped up to running Parliament Square, taking over from Emma Limerick, who's been doing it for nearly 20 years. So there's nothing she doesn't know about running that place, but she's stepping aside and I'm doing that now. So yeah, and obviously you're hearing the commentary and it's like, oh yeah, and uh, and there was definitely Joe and Marcus were having a bit of a dice and I think, oh, come on guys, you know, <laughs> one of you's got to bring it home. Yeah, just fantastic. And I guess from the Andreas Racing Association point of view, having people supporting these people going through that process who really understand that when you want to race on the roads, you are living and breathing. I mean, you, you totally get that more than anyone else would. Well, yes, that's true. But also, you know, I've lived here five years now, but I've, I feel, I, I know I'll never be Manx, but, you know, I'm massively invested in, in this, living in this, this island. I love the place to bits. And from the other side, you know, if, if we as an island value the Manx and the TT as part of our heritage, which I think most people do. And then the next question is, well, do you want local riders in those events? 
and you know the obvious answer is well yes of course we do well where are those riders going to learn where are they going to start out you know because if there isn't a you know an entry level place to start out learn their chops and 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 that sort of thing then this not going to happen it's it's like grassroots sport the world over not just about motorcycle racing think about mark cavendish where did he start riding he started doing events here on the island as a youngster and you can go to the absolute top of the tree uh but you've got to start somewhere and so grassroots clubs and sport exist to do that and it turns out <laughs> andrews racing association and jerby is the place on the isle of man so if somebody's listening to this neil and they're thinking you know maybe they've got a bike or they've they've I don't know, grown up watching the TT, but haven't thought about taking the next step. What would be the logical next step for them? Come and watch. If you come along to a, a Jeremy meeting, uh, obviously it's winter now, uh, so we're not starting up again until next March. But all our dates, if they're not there already, they will be on our website, which is andreasracing.im. And just come along and, and watch. It's an open paddock, so you can walk around, you can see what people are doing, get yourself a programme, see uh, what the classes for the bikes are and everything. Just get in chatting to people. Uh, it's It really is an absolutely friendly family atmosphere. You say, oh, well, you know, I thought I might give it a go myself and everyone will be saying, oh, yeah, you need to do it. You know, start here or do this or they'll tell you what they did or how they got into. We've got a couple of entry level classes now, CB500s, which are relatively affordable bikes. They took off in the UK and we've adopted that class here. And now we're getting 10 or 12 bikes out in the class that they go out in. And you can buy a bike. Well, I'm going to say it's going to sound maybe to some people sound like a lot of money. You can get a bike for a couple of thousand pounds, which in motorsport terms is actually really cheap. They're very easy on their tyres. So it's not like you have to throw tyres at them for every meeting and that sort of thing so you can dip your toe in the water there's a bunch of hurdles you need to go uh, as i previously described to get your license and that sort of thing but it's not uh, it's not that difficult and you can have a little bit of a play and see if it's for you and it's not for everybody but then once you've tried it you'll know and are there sidecar opportunities as well absolutely and i'm quite uh, i've never been on a sidecar and, I, and I need to Yet. fix that yeah you? yeah i need to do need to fix that somehow some way the sidecar community on the island is really close to my heart because running a sidecar is is so much harder than racing a solo they are all purpose-built machines they're incredibly alien you know nobody really knows how they work until you're trying to get on one and try and work it and everything it's, if you ride a motorbike on the road then you know how a bike works and if you want to go car racing well I know how a car works a sidecar is just right out there they are really difficult to keep going you know they, they stress the engine so much the tyres are really I was talking to uh, to Craig Melvin and he said the set of tyres obviously three of them for his outfit best part of a thousand pounds you know it's it's big bucks and there is a really dynamic sidecar community on the island and I've actually if you think about the TT this year there were only 24 starters in the TT class and I know the the ACU and the organizers are going to have to do some work to get that class to back to full strength but of those 24 four of them were local crews so that's that's a hell of a percentage we're fighting way above our weight batting above our average in terms of that and you know obviously we've got Dave Molyneux is a very proud Manxman he's won the most sidecar TTs ever and he still races it uh, and he's nearly as old as I am as well so him and Dan Sale were out in the TT this year and Dave and I hope he won't mind me saying this he did, I think he did his first race with Andrews Racing Association. Don't believe it was at Jerby because we were using some other uh, tracks there back in those days. That was when he was 16 years old in 1980. And he still comes out 
with and races with the club when he when he wants to get out and get an outing. There's Darren Hope and, and Ellie Bumfrey. There's Mike Jackson and Jake Roberts uh, were out in the TT this year. And as I previously mentioned, Craig Melvin and uh, Stewie Christian as well. And those guys are in the ARA paddock uh, as well. And there's a, there's, a, there's a bunch of others on them. So, so sometimes, I mean, it's not a huge grid, but sometimes we get seven, seven or eight sidecars out there, which for a little club out of Jerby is not bad going. And we talk about people who may be interested in taking part themselves, coming up and having a walk around, but it's open to members of the public as well Absolutely, because it's a long yeah. winter for people who love motorcycle It is a long winter. Racing. Well, we live here. We know what <laughs> we know <laughs> what we mean by the phrase long winter, don't we? But, you know, once people get Christmas out of the way, then they're already planning towards the next season. And, you know, on the, the first week in January, March isn't far away. And, and we've got test days in March uh, and racing in... Gosh, I'm thinking about that dates now. I think our first race is in April. Really, we haven't set the prices for next year, but it's a few quid to get in with a programme and everything. But the thing I will pitch is if you buy a... Uh, we've got a membership of the club. You can buy what we call a supporters membership. And if you buy that, that gets you uh, entry into our events for the entire season. So if you want to support the club, and actually, I think as soon as you come to your, if you come to your third race, then you, your quid's in in terms of what it's cost you. So I'll, I'll put that out there as well for locals. And we do get quite decent turnout, really. You know, uh, we get we, we take some money on the gate. Paddock is open. You can walk around. You can talk to the people you know. You can see what's going on. And then you can get right close and watch the racing as well. Neil, it's been fascinating talking to you and you know you may not be racing in the TT or the MGP anymore but it's still clear that it's absolutely something that you're so passionate about yeah it really is and if that ever goes then then I'm going to step away from it because I think you've got to carry that in into the event and, and the thing I haven't mentioned which uh will seem like a bit of a mission so I, I'm, I'm going to cover it now because I've talked about the, we talked about the sidecar uh, cruise I've talked about the Manx Grand Prix which in terms of progression is where our, our the club's riders tend to go on for as well but then they go on to the TT and I absolutely must mention a few of our guys who've acquitted themselves really well the TT so we've got I'm going to mention three club champions so the, basically these guys who have, have won the open class at Derby Jamie Kringle Ryan Kringle they're brothers they're both so so fast i think ryan has won it i'm so sorry if i get this wrong i think ryan has won that championship more than anyone else now and also a fellow called mikey evans as well he's also a former club champion all three of those guys done really well at the tt jamie had his debut in 2022 uh, and did really really well and ryan had his debut in 23 as well and the both of them just were fantastic mike's had some great ttt outings as well but i should also mention you know as i've mentioned dave madsen migdal as well he's there every year he's always in the, in the start list um paul cassidy has been going faster and faster gareth arnold is another ara rider as well tony redmond uh and tony and paul are both involved in organizing the club as well they're on the committee as well as the, you know they're prepping their bikes to get out the tt you know because it's the Isle man we've got this straight line through dipping your toe in the water at Jerby going fast at Jerby going to the Manx Grand Prix and then going to the TT and beyond and I think actually I've just just remembered this Mikey Evans is actually at the Macau Grand Prix right now so you know that we can take the, we're just this little island but you know people can cut their teeth here and go as far as their dream takes them and you're part of that dream very proud to just make this little contribution that I can thank you so much thank you Neil Champion and the links to the Andreas Racing Association website are on the podcast page. And if you've been listening to Neil and think you'd like to tell your story, whether or not you've actually managed to race here on the Isle of Man yet, I would love to hear from you. Bethsb at manxradio.com is the email address. And until next time, goodbye.